Welcome to Tom's SciCast, and I'm your host, Tom Kennedy. Now today we're going to talk about something a little different. This is where science and science fiction meet. In fact, we're going to go to the edge of science, and we're going to talk about the challenges to building a generational ship so that we could colonize another star system. And there's at least 10 of them that I came up with. Now many of us science fiction fans, you know, you feel like you may have been born a little too early. You know, I don't know about you, but I long for advanced technology like in Star Trek or Star Wars or almost any other science fiction show where you can travel faster than the speed of light and you could be in another star system either instantaneously or within a few weeks. And that way we could explore and colonize our galaxy or even the universe. I mean, even Star Trek, you know, they were colonizing a good bit of the galaxy. And there are some people in our world today that think, that we'll need to colonize other planets because we're trashing this one. Think about the movie or the TV show Firefly. It's one of the greatest sci-fi shows of all time. But the Earth, the old Earth, was basically destroyed, so they had to leave and go colonize another star system. And as far as I know, Firefly hasn't really shown they have faster-than-speed-of-light travel, which is good. Well, not good, but scientifically accurate. You see, unfortunately, Einstein just basically squashes the reality of our imaginations with his special theory of relativity. And it's that famous equation, E equals MC squared. That simple equation is a reality of our universe, and it makes faster-than-light travel all but impossible, at least as far as we know until we discover some new physics and some new way to like go through the fabric of the universe or something like that. But it just really makes going fast hard. And in fact, E equals mc squared. That's energy is equivalent to mass times the velocity of the speed of light squared. What that means is energy is tied up to the mass of an object. That means the faster you're going, that object actually becomes more massive, gains mass. And it takes more energy to make it go faster. Think about this. If you're driving on a road trip and you're going 65 versus 75, yeah, if you go 75, you'll get there quicker but it takes more energy. That puts a bound on the speed that we can travel. So the closer we approach the speed of light, the more energy it takes. And in fact, we can never go faster than the speed of light because it would take more energy than there is in the universe to push an object over the speed of light. So we are confined to basically going slow. So despite this buzzkill, I still dream of a day when humanity will begin to colonize the stars. You know, and if humans survive long enough, our descendants will face a time when our star's life will end and we're either going to perish or we're going to move on. Now, colonizing Mars or some moon of Jupiter or Saturn would only delay the inevitable end of our species unless we can colonize new star systems. And based on what we know, on Einstein's special theory of relativity, we're going to have to build a generational ship to travel those vast distances between stars. So in building our generational ship, I'm going to make a few assumptions based on our current technology and knowledge of the universe. Now, of course, in the future, we're going to develop new technologies, but let's just go with what we know. So I'll assume that we can't travel faster than light, and we're not going to develop any fantastical new technologies like an anti-gravity drive that will allow us to easily land on a planet and leave it. That's like what we see in the movies. Or we're not going to get some antimatter reactor that will provide almost unlimited energy. 
because you need antimatter, and that stuff's not cheap to make. So that means we have a few hurdles in front of us, but nothing impossible, but definitely challenging. And I believe in the human ability to overcome challenges. Now because FTL, faster than light, is out of the question, at least for now, we must build a large ship that can carry hundreds of people to new star systems on a voyage that could last centuries or even thousands of years. Now the burning question I have is can this be done? Can we build a ship capable of lasting thousands of years in interstellar space? I'll assume that we can locate a potentially habitable star system from the Earth or perhaps mid-journey. My best answer is I think so. And if we do this, then here's my list of 10 questions we'll have to answer before we embark on a long journey to the stars. So the first question, who gets to go? Imagine that if this were to happen in the next several hundred years, the people signing up would tend to be the more adventurous type, much like the first Europeans to colonize North America, or ones to trek across the country to the west coast during the gold rush. But I would ensure a mix of talent from scientists, doctors, engineers, teachers, lawyers, and especially artists. Nevertheless, no matter what, you will have to be loaded with scientists and engineers to keep the ship going and to train the next generations. My second question is, well, how many people do you send? Several studies have suggested that a minimum of at least 100 people would be needed. But that's also based on problems with inbreeding over the years. For me, I would send somewhere between 300 and 500 people to ensure greater genetic diversity. I would also engineer the crews. Seriously, I would do some genetic engineering and I'd remove any disease-causing mutation from their genomes. A problem with a small population is genetic drift. This is where variations of genes called alleles can randomly become fixed for good or for bad. So you could imagine that you start out with a crew where 50% were A blood, 25% B blood, 15% AB, and 10% type O. Yet over time, type B and type O could be lost and everybody becomes type A. That's an example an example of genetic drift. So I'd remove any simple disease-causing mutations from the population so they don't have a chance of becoming randomly fixed and hurting the overall fitness of the descendants. It makes inbreeding a less of a problem. While most studies have focused on genetic diversity, it really comes down to sending enough people with the expertise and skill set needed to maintain a miniature civilization and all its workings. That part of the equation the minimum skill set needed is usually overlooked for concerns like problems with inbreeding. But that can be somewhat addressed through genetic engineering. In addition to genetic drift and inbreeding, a smaller crew would also be in danger of quickly losing expertise and specific skills through random events. Also, you would need an extensive library of know-how would be needed. Better have a university YouTube and Google on that ship. Because as you get further from the Earth, it would take a decade to send and receive information, so you don't want to rely on contact with Earth to solve your problems. Plus, you never know what could happen back home. You may lose contact with the Earth. Here's a question a lot of people would ask. How big is that ship going to be? Honestly, I mean, that's really an engineering problem that can be overcome, but I call brute force. You can build enormous spaceships far from Earth's gravity, but the effort could cost trillions and take decades to complete. But let's suppose we overcome all of this. We become more efficient, we mine the moon or asteroids for resources, 
that we would have to lift everything off the earth. And depending on the crew size, carrying 500 people would require a ship over 3,000 feet long and 1,500 feet wide. And you might want to create some type of artificial gravity through centrifugal force. That's what you see in a lot of movies where they're spinning the ship so you have artificial gravity because that's something you'll want. Because if you don't have any gravity and you land on another planet, good luck trying to stand up if you've been in space for generations. Also, when it comes to the size, you need over 100 acres of land to grow enough food for everyone. Now that's 4,356,000 square feet. This is getting to be a big ship. Although, it's bigger than a Star Destroyer. And don't forget space for recreation. Space to store raw materials. Don't forget that outside the ship will also have to be thick to prevent heat loss and to protect the people from cosmic rays. Or you might need some really big magnets to at least deflect those particles from all the cosmic rays coming in. So these are that ship's going to be huge with a really thick hull. Okay, question number four. You build a big ship. How are you going to move it? What type of propulsion are you going to use? Who knows? I mean, explode some nuclear bombs behind it. Deploy an enormous solar sail. Use some conventional rockets to get it going. Ion engines. Maybe this EM drive, if it actually works. And slingshot it around the sun and other planets on the way out to help gain extra speed. And of course, I'm assuming that we don't invent an FTL drive. And the other thing, once you get going, can you make a course correction along the way? What if you discovered that your future solar system isn't so habitable? In that case, you're doomed. Or can you go on to another system? Can you make changes as you go along? Okay, question number five. You find your planet. How do you stop it in orbit? You could probably use some gravity braking for that. But the next question is, how do you get down to the surface? And how do you get a lander down there? How do you get rockets to get back up into orbit? If you are on an Earth-like planet, you're going to need a lot of fuel to do that. I mean, you got to go seven and a half miles per second to get into space from the Earth. So getting to the surface may be a one-way ticket for a few years until a launch pad and return rockets are built. But remember, you probably can't simply pre-build a lander and expect it to work after a thousand years. Now we're getting into the nitty-gritty here. Number six, how much water would you bring? I'd load a ship with as much water as possible. A lot of people worry about this, and they should. But once again, this is nothing more than an engineering problem. Bring what you think you'll need, then quadruple it. You'll also want simple ways to remove water from the ship's atmosphere, too. Question 7. What type of food are you going to bring? I would, in all honesty, bring mostly plants. I would also engineer them to be fast-growing and fully nutritious. I would not neglect variety either. Good food brings happiness to people. And I'd probably bring some chickens. You know, they lay eggs. Great source of protein. You can also use chicken eggs to make medicines and vaccinations too. And if it were up to me, I would try to set up a more or less functioning ecosystem. And if you're going to grow fruits and vegetables, be sure to include all the insect pollinators and a couple predators out there too. And don't forget some good decomposers. Other types of plants I'd bring along? How about cotton? Cotton can be used to make clothes. Hemp, same thing. How about pine trees? They grow fast. They don't require a lot of water. They would provide a fresh supply of raw materials in the long run. Now sadly, as much as I like a good burger, I probably wouldn't bring cows. Cows use a lot of resources. They're very large. And they may not give you the return that you would need. 
Now, yes, they would provide hamburgers and milk. I would probably avoid bringing cows. Now, that being said, I'm not opposed to impossible burgers, but plant-based things would be better. Use lab-grown engineered meat. That might be a way to have a good steak while you're out there in interstellar space. Now, question number eight. How do you recycle your organic material? You got 500 people on a ship. You got some chickens. That's a lot of poop and pee and maybe even unused food. Now, the good news is an artificial ecosystem could break down all this organic matter and it could release the nutrients to be used again. That is, as long as you have a constant supply of energy for plants to make those nutrients available again. This is where having a larger ship with a functioning ecosystem would be valuable. I mean, why reinvent the wheel here? Nature's done a pretty good job of forming functioning ecosystems. Until now, I think most of these hurdles can be answered with money, time, and some brute force engineering. You got $10 trillion in a couple decades, you could build one hell of a spaceship. Although, you may not have every problem worked out, but at least you'd be on your way. Whether or not you make it really depends on how you address the two biggest problems of all. The biggest threat to a generational ship is decay, fighting entropy. This isn't Star Trek. We don't have replicators to instantly make anything we need. So question number nine, what about power? If special relativity dooms us to a long voyage, the laws of thermodynamics will doom us to ever-increasing entropy, more and more disorder. That means we can't recycle energy on the ship. We must have some way of generating energy for perhaps thousands of years, and lots of it. It takes a lot of energy to grow plants and heat a large spaceship. You got to get it 300 degrees Celsius above the temperature of space. That's a lot because space is really cold. You've got to have it 60, 70 degrees in there. And a lot of energy will also be needed to recycle materials. A glass window breaks. We melt it down into new glass. You break a screwdriver. You'll need to melt it down and make a new one. Need to print a circuit board? Yep, that takes energy too. That means we must vastly improve something like nuclear technology, perhaps a breeder reactor. Either way, these come with many problems that will slowly build up over time. But one benefit of nuclear power is that it will generate a lot of heat. And that's a good thing because you got to keep your spaceship warm while interstellar space is really cold. And it might do it for thousands of years. And let's put it this way. You can't use much of solar power. Even the solar powers begin to lose their efficiency after a few decades. And besides, you're going to be in the darkness of interstellar space. Maybe fusion power. But so far, this has eluded us too. So one thing that we're going to have to really work on is a source of energy to power this ship for thousands of years. And right now, the only thing we really have for that is nuclear power. And then the last question I have, number 10, what would you bring to fight the slow decay caused by entropy? What technology, what raw materials would you bring? For me, when it comes to technology, I'd bring as much scientific equipment as I could. A fully functioning hospital, research facilities, sequencers, powerful computers, microscopes, telescopes, model organisms to continue scientific studies. I'd also bring a loaded machine shop with tools and redundancy. I mean like a hundred of the same screwdriver. I'd include ways to continue to make new parts and components of everything because eventually everything will wear out or break. 
and there's no way to continually make new lights, new circuit boards, new video screens, new tools, new clothes. So I bring in along an entire manufacturing and machine shop capable of fixing and making just about anything. You know, we have things like 3D printers, but eventually you get to remake your 3D printer. You're gonna have to make new screwdrivers. You get to make every new light bulb, speaker, computer screen, hard drive, circuit board. You'll get the idea. And I would also bring along very simple tools, things that can help you grow plants and make them as robust as possible. And you also need to bring raw materials. You also have to be able to make stuff from scratch. Eventually your computer will die, your light bulbs will burn out, your motors will wear out, and everything will eventually have to be remade. So you'll need the raw materials to do that, including iron, steel, copper, something to make plastic. Once you insert yourself into orbit around your new planet, you better have a way of getting down to the planet. And then if this is not a one-way ticket, you got to make a large rocket ship to get you back up to your generational ship. So that's where I think that planting trees for a wood and building material. I'd have a mixture of super advanced tools to the simplest. And I hope that through the generations, knowledge is not lost. And you don't simply revert to a stone age society as your technology slowly breaks down. In that case, your generational ship will be doomed to failure. And I think uh, Orville has done that as well, where they, they met this generational ship and nobody realized they were on a generational ship anymore. And uh, you could imagine that as, as your technology wears out, if you lose knowledge or if you start running out of energy, you can't maintain your computers. You can't maintain this advanced technology. But what you can maintain are shovels and rakes. But you better hope your power source doesn't go away. Well, those are the main questions I have to building a generational ship. It's unlikely it'll ever happen in my lifetime or for hundreds of years, just because the the cost of it would be way too much. Just, there's, and there's no reason for us to send a generational ship out into the stars. But as I started off with this podcast, you know, eventually, if humans stick around long enough, our sun will, it'll end in about a billion years or so. The earth will become uninhabitable. Now, that's a long time for humans to live. I don't think any other animal species has ever lived much more than a few hundred million years. I think horseshoe crabs at 450 million years might be the longest lived species. And if humans do that, you know, like I said, we'll eventually have to do this. And these are the technical challenges they would have to face in the future unless we get some warp drive. And, you know, all of us science fiction fans, we are totally holding out for some type of FTL drives. Okay, well, this was my first foray into the science and science fiction aspect of a podcast, and I hope you enjoyed it.